This is the Marty Ray Project Chats, and I'm Marty Ray, one of the hosts of this podcast. You might know me from a beard video, a prank call, or a rap song turned acoustic cover. You're a real projector, maybe one of my three original albums as well. Regardless of how you know me now, my whole career actually started with a podcast years ago, before everybody had one and back when podcasts got no respect at all. Times have changed a little, and this is me coming back to my roots in a way. And this time, I'm bringing some friends along with me. Like my co-host, Jim Best, Country Music Hall of Fame steel guitar player and producer. He's a good one. Played on a bunch of legendary country music songs that you probably know, probably heard them. If you don't know either of us, thanks for tuning in anyway. I bet you'll love it. Welcome to the project. Download, subscribe, and rate, whether you love it or not. Sound supplied by Roadcaster Pro. Thank you so much, Road. We love you. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Let's chat. He charted more than 30 Billboard Top 40 songs, two of which were number ones. He released more than 20 albums. He served his great country in the Navy on board the USS Hancock. Thank God for men like him. And he wrote a tribute song to one of, if not my most, favorite artists of all time, and I know I'm not alone, Elvis Presley, called The King Is Gone. Welcome to the show, Ronnie McDowell. Well, thank you, my friends. Good to be here with both of you boys. I pre- we appreciate you coming in. So you performed uh, The King Is Gone on the NBC special Nashville Remembers Elvis on his birthday. I did. Uh, you know, I, this is not my quote. I wish I could claim it, but a friend of mine who owns the Baltimore Orioles now, the reason I'm throwing that name out there is because Steve Jeppy, he told me, he said, Ronnie, all I got to tell you is fate is a hunter. And that was the the most wonderful quote I think I've ever heard because he said, the day that you heard Elvis Presley passed away, it was August 16th. It was 2.22 in the afternoon. Now, the reason I know that is because I was over by um, – uh, I was coming out of Nashville, getting ready to get on 65 right there at Metro Center. Yeah. Turned the radio on, and the DJ goes, it's official, Elvis Presley has passed away. Well, I thought it was, you know, another one of their stunts they were doing. So before I got to 65, everywhere I turned, gospel, sports, you'd have had to been there. Now, Marty, you're too young. But anyway, that day, I'm telling you, that was on – Every station. So I, I thought, well, I guess it's true. So before I got to Rivergate Mall here, uh, I was a songwriter. I'd been writing songs since I got out of the service. And this just poured not out of my heart, but my soul. And I went, I was barely six years old when I first heard him sing, which was a true. It's true. Every, that's my whole life. And from that moment I, I, from that moment on, I knew it'd be a lifetime thing. And I'd stand in front of a mirror day and night, and I listened to every one of his records, and I repeated every word and every note till I almost got it right. Nobody gets it right because we're all individuals. <laughs> but anyway, I had that written before I got to Rivergate Mall. So the next morning, now I'd never laid eyes on Elvis. So I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, I flew to Memphis in my 77 Camaro, and I parked um, – Two miles from Graceland. Uh, you'd have had to been there. Hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. And I got in line at 8.30 in the morning. 
And at five o'clock, now, still to this day, even though I was, what, 20-something, still don't know how my bladder held up from 8.30 till 5. They shut the gate right in front of me. I got 15 feet from it. I didn't get in. Mm. So I, they, people started rioting. And I thought, well, I don't want no part of this. So I got back in my car, flew back to Nashville. I walked into the Scorpion Records office where I was signed as an artist and a writer, Slim Williamson. Oh, yeah. I had chart records, uh, Jim. Yeah. And uh, there was a guy standing there, and his name was Lee Morgan. And I knew him vaguely because he'd been coming to see me at the Country Godfather on Lebanon Road where I was had a gig. And uh, he said, Ronnie, I want to do a tribute to Elvis. And I said, well, man, I ain't wearing no jumpsuit if, I want you, if that's what you're talking about. And he said, that ain't what I'm talking about. Listen to this song I've wrote. And I listened to it, and I said, well, man, listen to what I wrote yesterday. So what we did the next night, Thursday, at Music City Recorders, which is gone now. It's a parking lot, sad. <clears throat> um, we went in, didn't know what in the world we was doing. We just combined everything we had. And we were just fumbling in the dark. But three hours later, uh, Lee Morgan walked up to me and he said, you're going to have to pay for this. You know how much that session was for the, the pickers, the studio, the tape? 2800 bucks. Do you know how much money that was in 1977? Oh, I do. And I, I don't. I it, have no clue. It was astronomical. Is that a lot of money? Oh, Lord. So I... I told Lee, I said, Lee, I can't pay for this, man. I got 40 bucks to my name. He said, well, you're going to have to pay for it. He walked out the door. So I'm standing there, but luckily I had a checkbook. I wrote hot checks <laughs> to the musicians for the tape, for the studio. And uh, <clears throat> so I flew. I went home scared out of my wits. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've written $3,000 worth of hot checks. So I slept with that tape. It was about that thick, about three inches thick and just a little square box. And I slept with that tape. And I had this idea to get up early in the morning. I didn't sleep at all. And I flew down to the Monument Studios, which is still there. And I was sitting on those steps where here comes Gail Pollock. And Gail, I, whom I had known for a, a while, I'd been making some big old acetates. And those were records you could buy for eight bucks, have them made off of your reel. <clears throat> and she said, what are you doing here, Ronnie? And I said, Gail, I got a hit. I didn't know if I had a hit, but I felt in my heart and soul I did. She said, what do you want? And I said, I want eight acetates. Why well, I got eight, I don't know. But anyway, she said, well, come on upstairs. So as they put that tape, that reel-to-reel -reel on and started making the first acetate this man walked by it was a little bitty old room smaller than this room we're in but this man walked by with these two women and he goes hey who is that i said that's me he said uh well my name's lee shannon from up in indianapolis and i'm the program director if you'll give me one of those i'll take it back and play it give me your number see if you get any reaction well <laughs> i gave him one i didn't know who he was but <clears throat> that was my first reaction well, apparently that hit him. So I went straight from there. And by the way, I wrote hot checks for those eight acetates. <laughs> acetates <yeah. laughs> so I went straight from there out to Madison to We Know Radio. Lord, yeah. Which was like the country music station, but it was little AM station. And why I went there first before I got to WHIN in Galton, 
a friend of mine had that one. And I walked in, there was a little girl behind the desk, and I said, hey, uh, would you would y'all play this? She goes, well, we don't do that off the street. And I said, well, it's about Elvis. She goes, hmm, well, hold on a minute. So she went back, and there was a DJ with a glass uh, window, and I could tell he put that needle down on that turntable, and he listened to it, and um, and he took his finger, and he goes, hey, uh, come here. So I went back there, and he said, you stand right here. I'm going to play this, see if you get any reaction. I said, you are? And he said, yeah, we'll see. So he started playing it, and before it got a fourth into the record, all of his phone lines lit up, and he goes, damn, something's wrong with my phones. Mm. So every phone call for the next three hours, it never stopped, and it exploded right there. Channel 5 called and said, hey, uh, can we come out there and put you on the 5 o'clock news? So I said, well, yeah, I guess. Wow. And so I went from there <laughs> down to Nashville. I walked into the Stallman building, went to WLAC, the number one pop station. I did the same thing, and I told her, I said, she said, well, we don't do stuff like this. And I repeated what I told the other girl and told her what went on. She said, well, hold on a minute. And there were three guys standing in the hallway, and she handed them one of the acetates. And I could tell that he took it, and he stepped back in this little room. He came back out, and he said, come here. And I went down there, and uh, he said, you stand right here. We're going to play this. That was a number one pop rock station. And so he came out three minutes later, and he said, son, you have jammed our phone lines. You got a monster. Mm. And, and that was it. You know who that was that took that record? And John Conley. Oh, my buddy. He was working at uh, the rock station. <laughs> oh, Lord, <laughs> hardcore country. And that was it. And my, uh, the next night, they wanted me on the Grand Ole Opry. Just like that. Oh, it exploded. The, that's that's a, the epitome of overnight success. The that's it. It's, sure it was like a movie, and you were just going to st radio station to radio station. They were saying, "Stay here and watch what happens. We'll see what happens." And you were able to witness it right there firsthand. It, I swear it was like a movie. So the next night, now remember this song is what a day old. Yeah, no um, checks are a day old. Yeah, <laughs> and so I didn't know the song. I mean, we had thrown it together. So I'm standing backstage. The Opry that night was, they were hanging from the rafters. And Jim Ed Brown walked to me, up to me, and I'm tapping the wall, had my foot on the wall, and I said, Lord, please let me remember this song. Well, Jim Ed said, son, you're going to do fine. I said, Mr. Brown, I'm not afraid to sing. I just wrote this song and don't know it. He said, well, when did you write it, son? And I said, two days ago. And he said, two days ago? Well, good luck, son. <laughs> Golly, man, that is but incredible. I want, but I want you to know I went out and never missed a syllable. Yeah. So Elvis and the Lord were hanging out with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, that was amazing. And uh, I'm glad we started with that, Jim. That was a, that was a phenomenal. Uh, you know, I've known him for Lord knows how long. And that's the first time that I've really heard it from the horse's mouth, the true story. Yeah, man. And I love it, Ronnie. I Thank just you. love it, buddy. That's great. We typically start every show with a fast five. Uh, we ask you five quick questions, and you give us five quick answers. But uh, I like I like the way we started this one a little better. But yeah. we're still going to do the fast five. Okay. You yeah. ready? Well, sorry. 
No, no, you don't have to apologize. I'm just letting you know that this is how we normally start it. But I love that story. I do, too. That's and, a good uh, start. I'll definitely be listening to it again. And I know everybody listening is going to love it. The Fast Five today is going to have some Elvis themes in it because you're an Elvis man, and I am, too. I'm from Memphis originally. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I've been to Graceland several times, and I remember back when Elvis Presley Boulevard was a nice street, and well, not, yeah. and you didn't get stabbed when you went over there. But uh, it's kind of sad what it's gotten to. The uh, first Fast Five is your favorite song that's not yours. Don't be cruel. Don't be cruel. Well, that was one of the other Fast Five's favorite Elvis song. So that's your favorite Elvis song too, huh? It's not only mine, it's his. It's his favorite Elvis. But not because it was his. That's just, if you listen to that song right now, it sounds like sweet cream. And that's Elvis. He turned his guitar over, and that that sound you hear is him slapping on the back of that guitar, him into the microphone, and singing at the same time he's slapping. And I'm like, man, this guy had that rhythm. I didn't know that. I figured that one of his favorites would have been like Peace in the Valley or something like that. Don't be cruel. That's something else. Yep. Your favorite snack food? Oh, I I can tell that uh, real quick. Uh, when I was a kid, it was a eat a snack and an RC cola. An eat a snack. Yeah. What is that? You'd have to be from here, <laughs> Jim. You know what that is? I've heard of it, but I can't tell you what it's it is. It's those little cheese crackers with peanut butter on them. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know what that is, but that was the brand of Eat-A-Snack. That's, that's what we called them, Eat-A-Snack. Right on. I like that. I've eaten a lot of those. Oh, yeah. Unwillingly. I still do. <laughs> you still like them? I love those things. I have some in my cabinet. That was the cra- That was the snack that we would eat as children that my mama would get. We never wanted them. But if there was nothing else to eat, that was what we had to eat. We would go, well, some of these peanut butter cheese crackers. Well, 20 years before that, you just grabbed you a big old spoonful of peanut butter, and you put it up in the roof of your mouth, and you sucked on it till it was all gone. <laughs> hey, we've done that, too. So I mean, yeah. That, that, that had some staying power, that thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I still do that today, actually, every now and then with the peanut butter. Uh, Ford, Chevy, or Dodge? Ford. Ford, man. Jim, are you a Ford man? I don't remember. Dodge man? What are you? I, my first car was a 51 Ford. We, we we grew up Chevy people. So, But now I don't care really. As long as somebody will give me a truck, I'll take it. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> well, care. I, I, the only thing I care about anymore is if it gets me from point A to point B. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember a little yellow uh, Camaro. Oh, yeah. You You're know Bad what? boy now. Well, I got all that out of my system. <laughs> that take it out? Yeah. He looks like he still rides in a, a Corvette oh, or something, it, don't he? I never did ride it with him, but it looked awful fast. Yeah, you know, I had some hot rods still in me then, but I've got all that out of my system. I drive a Prius. Do you really? Yeah. Is that what you drove here today in? No, I have a Forerunner, uh, but I got two little Priuses, and I love those little cars. I, they you get know, a good gas mileage. Well, you twenty mile, you put 20 bucks in them, you drive in them all week. Mm-hmm. 60 right. miles a gallon, something like that? Yeah, 62. Well, not, my Volkswagen wasn't that good, but I love my little Volkswagen. I've had those, too. Yeah, I had one. It was just absolutely fly, an 06 convertible, loaded out. And matter of fact, two loaded. Every time you turn around, something needed to be fixed. cost $500. Well, the last uh, Fast Five is... Uh, one I already know the answer to, but I like to hear people say it because I always said it, is uh, Elvis or the Beatles? Well, you know, I love the Beatles. I do. I mean, they're great writers. They were. And their songs, 
I'm telling y'all, were magical. They were so simple in their beauty, but they were magical. When I first heard, I want to hold your hand, I was like, that is so simple, but yet it reaches through that radio and grabs me. Uh, Elvis, without hands. Right. Hands well, you had, me, you had me wondering there for a minute. I was like, maybe I don't know the answer. Uh, 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 Elvis. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> he speaks so highly of the Beatles. Oh, I love them. Yeah. I never was a big Beatles fan. Um, and I think it was because when in my family, there was an argument always who was the best, because Elvis or the Beatles, because they were always battling for the number one record sales and all that. So I always hated to hear anybody say that the Beatles were better than Elvis. Yeah. So, yeah, but what's the the head beetle come to see me? Paul McCartney. He sure did. Yeah. Spent about half a night with me. I don't know if he's the head. John Lennon and him both were the heads, but yeah, one of them. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking if I had to choose a head, I'd choose him. Well, that's because he came to see you. No, no. You know, <laughs> when he come to see me, I knew who the Beatles were, but I was not a fan of, of their music like I should have been. I mean, I was country, and I, if it didn't have a steel guitar in the band, I, I didn't take time to listen to it. That's well, just all there is to it. But, man, after that, I started uh, getting my head right, you know, and, and, and finding their music, and, and it was just like finding a, a treasure trove. Yeah, this boy, I love that song. This they all their songs to me just had magic. It was just magic. But there and then again, you know, they all idolized Elvis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See. Yeah. They said uh, John Lennon actually said without Elvis there would be no Beatles. And he also said before Elvis there was nothing. Yeah, well that ain't really true, but yeah, that's that sounds well, like for, something he'd say. For him it was. Yeah. You well, know, I, I'll tell you something that before Elvis, Hank Jr. You're not going to believe this. No, he wasn't happening either. Hank Senior was just. You know, I mean, I meant Senior. I didn't know why I said Junior. <laughs> I don't know why I said Junior. I meant Hank Senior. <laughs> you know who one of Elvis's uh, uh, big proteges was? Who he fell in love with? You'll never believe it. Well, I know that uh, the ones that influenced him, but I don't know which one you're going to say. Well, it was two of them. It's the Leuven brothers. Oh yeah, he loved Leuven. He, he loved them. Yeah, he loved them, and uh, he well, he loved all of those singers. He loved all the country singers. He loved all the wonderful, beautiful black singers. He loved Al Jolson. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, Elvis was influenced like me by everybody. Yeah, he uh, he he just he, he just well, he opened for him. You know, and he's in a lot of his early shows like that. If he could open for them, boy, he wanted to do it. Yeah, you know, I, of course, I worked with the Jordanaires for years and yeah. years, and DJ and and Scotty, and I was with Scotty three days before he died, and and I got in the bed. And I mean, I was sitting by the bed, and I said, Scotty, you need to get out of this bed. He said, No, nah, my hips bother me. I'll get out in a few days. And I said, Well, I know what's wrong with you. You're missing Gail. Remember I told you Gail Pollock came up and asked me what I was doing there that morning? I remember that. I had no earthly idea that that was Scotty Moore's girlfriend at that time. I had no earthly idea. Now, here's where fate is a hunter. Let me go back to that. Had I got in to see Elvis that day, do you know how far it is up to Graceland? Do you know how long it would have taken me to get up to see Elvis in that casket? Had I done that? Lee Morgan would not have been standing in Scorpion Records' office because it would have been 
past midnight, and there would not be no king is gone. So fate is a hunter. So I did not know that uh, where I recorded the king is gone, Music City Recorders, uh, was owned by Scotty Moore, Elvis's guitar player. But mm, three days, yeah. three days before he passed away, uh, I said, "You're just missing Gail, aren't you?" Who became one of my best friends in the whole world, and uh, he said, "Hell yes, I am." And you know, he laid there, and I said, "Well, Scotty, I'm gonna get a picture with you before leaving." He said. You getting into bed with me? And I said, well, yeah, you won't get out of the bed. And he said, you going to get under the covers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how Jim tries to get me to take pictures with him. And I don't like it. I'm tired of it. Yeah. All right? So we're going to stop doing that, okay? <laughs> that hair gets to be a mess, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep mine nice and trim. <laughs> you were uh, – so the, what you say at the beginning of The King is Gone, you say – Six years old, uh, when I first heard his voice, and you talk about one of the things that you, in that song, one of the things, I don't know if it's true, but if all of it's true, you say that you wanted, you wish that someday somebody would say you sound just like Elvis. Did anybody ever say that? Oh, Lord, yeah. That's, you know, everybody that I've ever come in contact with that ever heard that song, they thought, you know, when we heard that, we thought that was Elvis singing about his death. We didn't know that was you. We thought that was Elvis. I'll tell you something. When when I watched, because I've seen countless documentaries, countless movies about Elvis, because, I, like I said, I'm a big Elvis fan. And uh, I know a lot of his history. I know how he started and things like that. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't, I'm pretty sure you don't. But you do you know Lansky's? Yes. The clothier that, uh, yes. that uh, clothed Elvis? Anyway, Elvis, when he was young, he, he went up to the Peabody Hotel and he – Knocked on that door. Did you know about that? Uh, he was looking in the window, and he was he was knocking on the door, or he was looking in the window or something. I don't know if he knocked. But uh, Carl, I think his name's Carl Lansky, came out and said, son, can I help you with something? And he goes, he goes, no, I don't have any money yet. I don't know how old Elvis was. I think he was uh, probably 18, 19. He was, he was grown already. But he said, he said, no, I don't have any money yet, but someday I'm going to come and buy this place. And, and, and Carl Lansky said, don't don't buy it. Just buy from me. And he was so nice to him. And so Elvis bought his clothes from Carl Lansky. Most, not all of them, but he bought a whole bunch of his clothes from there for the rest of his life. Yeah, because that did. guy was so nice to him. I, I wasn't familiar with him. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, the That's Lansky cool. brothers. Yeah, yeah. All of my, my early stuff with Pee Wee was all nudie. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Pee Wee just went first class everywhere he went. Who made a lot of Elvis's clothes? I think he did later. You know? Yeah. And I rode in that car that belonged to him. Nudie's car? Yeah, the yeah. convertible with all the silver and the horns and the guns. you talking about them suits that are all filled with jewelry and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. yeah, the Hank Snow stuff. Huh. Yeah, Porter Wagner stuff. Yeah. yeah. We we had that. Each individual boy. We I, he, we believed in dressing his men all alike. And you they, yeah. they had something like that on you? Yes, a piano player. I got his clothes when... They, uh, they was handed down to me. Where are those clothes now? They got stolen. We had three clothes packs in our car, and uh, we stopped someplace, and I can't remember if we was working or what, but we come back out in the car had been broken into, and I don't think they even knew what in the hell they'd got. They didn't t take the instruments. They just took the damn clothes. How in the world did they find that many rhinestones to make you a jacket to put on? 
There was places that was a little skimpy on mine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they had yeah, yeah. further farther apart spaces in between there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be like I'm trying to make one for me. They're like, ah, no, that can't. There's an old joke that a, a guy tells. He's a big fella, bigger than me and you, maybe together. And he tells a joke, and he says, when I take my clothes to the laundry, because it's a, he said it's a uh, an Asian woman. He said, I'll take my clothes in there, and, and they go, oh, she, we're going to work her hard today. Going to work you hard? <laughs> yeah. And he just always says, well, thanks again, and he drops his clothes. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's funny. His name's Gabriel Inglacius, if anybody wants to look him up. He's one of the funniest guys I know. Um, so speaking of you sounding like Elvis, the film that uh, was called Elvis, it was a biopic bio with Kurt Russell in it. Yeah. I thought. That that was Elvis. That was he was just lip syncing over Elvis's uh, songs, and that was him that was singing in that movie. You yeah. ever seen that movie, Jim? I don't think I have. Yeah, it, anything that has to do with Elvis, just about I've seen it. Um, but well, I found out later that he had a steel guitar two or three times that cut with him, you know, and I give him a lot of slack after that. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, two weeks after I did the Opry, Dick Clark, I was down at Walker, Louisiana at the Old South Jamboree, and I got a phone call after the show, and it, uh, this guy said, hey, Ronnie, there's a fellow on the phone says his name is Dick Clark. He wants to talk to you. So I got on the phone, and I said, hello, and he goes, Ronnie, this is Dick Clark. You go to the airport. There's a private jet for you waiting. You're going to be on American Bandstand tomorrow. I said, yeah, right. Who is this? He said, Ronnie, this is Dick Clark. Go get on that plane. So I got on that plane. He said, you get some rest. You're gonna, as soon as you get off that plane, you're going to be on bandstand. So I did. Didn't sleep a wink. <laughs> and I got out there, and there was they got me off of that plane, put me on a helicopter, flew me right in front of the uh, ABC lot. I went straight into makeup, and I'm looking in the mirror, and here comes Dick Clark. And I went, wow, Dick Clark. I never dreamed I'd be here. And he goes, well, Ronnie, you've sold a million records in a week. You deserve to be here. You're number nine on the pop charts. And I said, well, I'm just so glad that y'all pantomime. I've been watching you since 57 because this song's only two weeks old, and I don't know it that well. And he goes, Ronnie, we don't do that anymore. Uh -oh. <laughs> and I went, and my heart froze. He said, yeah. now when that red light comes on, there'll be 80 million people watching you. But you'll do fine. You'll have cue cards underneath the camera. That's what they. That's all they had back then. There was no monitors. Right. And I said, okay. So if you Google me on American Bandstand doing that song, Jim, I look like I knew what the hell I was doing. But inside, I was petrified, scared out of my wits. And uh, so just a few weeks later, he called me up and he said, hey, Ronnie, Dick Clark. He said, I'm doing a movie about Elvis starring Kurt Russell. And I said, that Disney guy? He said, yeah, and I said, well, Dick, he don't look nothing like Kurt, uh, Elvis. And he said, wait till you see his screen test. The transformation was unbelievable. And I said, yeah. I said, how many songs are doing? He said, 38. <laughs> and I said, good Lord. I said, well, I'd be honored to do it. So I did it. At, how much did you make doing that? Uh, I think back in those days, he paid me 10000 for all of them? Uh-huh. Was that good money back then? That was a world of money. Yeah, buddy. 
Yeah. I mean, it's good money now, but for 38 songs, you know, it's... Uh, well, for an old poor boy from Portland, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a lot of money, but I just didn't know the the value of something like that even today. Like, if you somebody called you today, what do you think that you would get for something like that? Well, now that I don't know, but, uh, I, you know, I was glad to get it. I was glad to do it. We did it. Now, here's the fate thing again. It was that we recorded at Monument Studios where I was sitting on the steps, had the acetates made, and guess who produced the music? Felton Jarvis, Elvis's, Elvis's producer. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, and he, Elvis had just got him a liver. Uh, moved him up. Elvis made a call and moved him up to get his liver. So Felton came in there every morning. Son, let's do this. You know, he was so full of life. He died. <laughs> he died not long after that. But, you know, I was so honored to do that. And then Priscilla, and that was movie of the year, by the way. Huh. I didn't 19, know that. 1978. Yeah. I mean, I watched it way later. I was born in 82. Yeah. So, and then Priscilla called me long, uh, not long after that, and she had had a number one book. She said, "I'm doing a movie about Elvis called Elvis and Me, and I want you to be his voice." And so, that's when I met her. She was only in her thirties, and I was like in my uh, early thirties because she's seven years older. So she was thirty-seven. I was thirty-two, thirty-one, somewhere in there. And uh, the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, I told her, I said, no wonder that guy went crazy over you. I said, Priscilla, you're the prettiest human I've ever seen. And she was. And uh, so we became really good friends uh, at that moment. And I did 36 songs in that movie. So that what was that movie called? Elvis and Me. Elvis and Me. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, it was starred, starring Dale Metcalf. He played Elvis. He did a good job, is. but... And then I did uh, Elvis and the Beauty Queen with Don yep. Johnson. Yeah. I did Elvis Meets Nixon. Yep. Uh, I've done 12 of those. 12 of those Elvis films. And a Twilight Zone episode. And you were the voice. You were just singing the whole time in all those yeah, new songs. They couldn't use the same songs. Right. And uh, so, they, you know, they hired me to do those. And, I, and that's a history that nobody can take away from me. I got to be Elvis Presley's voice. I mean... Okay, so how many other people on the planet can say that? I don't know. There's not many. Maybe just one. Maybe me, it's just you. Me. So, you know, yeah. I think about that a lot, about how fate is a hunter. It oh, will yeah. find you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess other people are Elvis's voice when they're doing, you know, they got a lot of people that are doing um, Elvis impersonations and stuff like that, but. For I can't think of any kind of movie. I think that actually there was one movie that just came out in Memphis. There it was a, actually was it a movie or a TV show, and it was uh, it had to do with Elvis. It didn't do real well. Well, they use Elvis now. They they literally use his voice. I now. thought they used somebody else in that show because it was a young. They couldn't. They probably used Elvis, but nonetheless, I thought that there was somebody else in there. But uh, the when you wrote the King is gone, right? So you touched on that earlier in the show. Were you, how, where were you at when you heard the news? You were riding down the road. Did you say you heard it on the radio? Yeah, right over here by Metro Center. And then you heard that, started writing that in your head. It started just coming out of me because I, when I got out of Vietnam, I'm a three-term proud combat veteran of the Vietnam War. And when I got out of Vietnam, the first person I wrote a song for was Johnny Cash. <clears throat> and uh, well, was, What song was that? Well, I'll sing a little of it for Let's you. Let's hear it. Now, the reason why is because when I walked into the house of cash, I said, 
I have this on a little reel to reel. You remember those? About like they was about I, like that. I don't remember them, but I know what they are. Yeah. yeah. And I said, but I've got my guitar. I'd rather sing it for you live because when I was a kid, I did. I emulated voices, and you were one of my favorite singers. And <clears throat> well, let's hear it, son. So I went <clears throat> in my best Johnny Cash voice, and I went, "Well, I believe in good old rock and roll, and I believe that music is the soul." Of country, blues, and pop Why well, could never knock hard rock Cause all and all it's rhythm from the heart Ain't that the truth? He did the truth <laughs> That was pretty good <laughs> Oh, well, thanks but, He was close to him Well, thanks, but when I was a kid, uh, Elvis When I first heard Elvis, I was living in Portland It was 1956, February My sister set me down in front of a little... TV about that big that our Philco that our Uncle Opie'd give us because there was eleven of us. We were so poor. I can't explain to you, but everybody was in the same boat back in those days, weren't we, Jim? Yes, sir. And uh, so yeah, Jim El- ate raw uh, deer back then. He couldn't. He didn't even have a stove to cook it on. Ooh. He just cut it oh, open and started not eating. Not that much. Them. Just when I was dressing one out, I might take a little bit off of it uh, and then have a little something to <laughs> chew. He on. really did that. Oh Lord, couldn't he really would be cleaning one and just. Cut a little piece of meat off and, and uh, the moose is wonderful and, and, and so is elk. You know, it's really good. Yeah, I'm gonna let you do that, Jim. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> and then him and uh I heard the story about him and uh Marty Robbins having a eat off on some raw meat. Oh yeah. Marty, you know, he wouldn't let his guys bust on him, but he loved to bust on them. Yeah. So as if and they couldn't come back at him. Yeah. So I rode the bus because me and his steel player were close. And he started picking on me because I was so big. He nicknamed me Timothy Tons Rump. <laughs> and I called him the Sparrow, and it was like you drove a knife through his heart. It just killed him. And the boys would start laughing every time I'd call, hey, Sparrow, come over here and sit on my lap. And they'd get to laughing, and they'd, and he'd look at them sort of mean, and they'd run to the back of the bus. you hear them like a bunch of chickens back there. <laughs> They're laughing their butt off. <laughs> but anyway, he thought, well, I've got to get that big boy some way. You like, uh, you're a big hunter. You like raw meat? I said, oh, yeah. And uh, so he had the bus stopped in just a few minutes, running there, and picked up two little packs of steak, you know, and cut it up in little bite-sized stuff, and got some kind of, I don't know, A1 sauce or something to put on it, you know. And I noticed he took one little nibble on it, and he said, you like you like this now. Here, get a hold of some of this, thinking that he's going to get me. And I had a toothpick, you know, and I'm just eating this damn stuff fast as I pick it up, dip it, that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm hors d'oeuvring, you know. So mm. that didn't work on uh, either. But, you know, we stayed friends for, for till he died, you know. Yeah. First time I worked with Marty was in uh, Baltimore in 1980. And I walked up to him and I said, and I was opening his show, and I said, Marty, I do a little segment on my show. I do Johnny Cash, Ernest Tubb. I do you. And uh, uh, I forget who else I said. And uh, I said, you don't mind if I do it, do you? He said, no, son, I wish you'd go out and do my whole show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a little Marty Robbins. Oh, when I was a kid, well... I never felt more like running all night. Why should I stay when nothing ain't right without you? So, you know, everybody influenced me, but the most interesting voice in 1956, besides Elvis, this guy came on and I heard him one day and I would, we had a big old Philco radio about that. I know who you're about to say, I bet. Who? Jerry Lee Lewis. 
No, but that's an interesting story I have for you. I knew you had that story because <laughs> I'm a because I'm a Jerry Lee Lewis big. I'm a big fan of Jerry Lee. Well, I have two songs on here on my new album that Jerry Lee and I have done. But anyway, no, this is the most interesting voice. I listen to it all the time. Nobody sounds like this. Who does? I said hello, Dolly. This is Lewis, Dolly. So nobody sounds Louis like Louis Armstrong. Armstrong. Man. But the first time I met Jerry Lee was right after The King is Gone in Millington, Tennessee. They threw me on a show with Hank Jr. and Jerry Lee. Merle Kilgore was Hank Jr.'s manager. Yes. And I wanted to meet Jerry Lee. I loved Hank Jr., but I wanted to meet Jerry Lee Lewis. So I knocked on the bus door. Hey, Mr. Kilgore, do you mind if I meet Jerry Lee? No, son, they're in the back. Go back there and meet them. And, Lord, I was so excited. I'd already done my part of the show. The door flung open, and Jerry Lee walked up to me and put his index finger on my nose, and he said, are you a Baptist boy? And I said, <laughs> and I was scared to death, and I said, yes, sir, because I am. He said, well, them Baptists ain't worth a damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, he was, he's, he's Pentecost. Yeah. Like me. And yeah. so that's kind of why, you know, his cousin, Jerry, uh, Jimmy Swaggered. Yeah. Now I'm close to that. I'm Pennywise. Are you the clown? <laughs> Pennywise. <laughs> the clown. Pennywise is a clown. Did you know that? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. you ain't seen hey, the movie. I spawned the clown now. You got to look at some Stephen King stuff to figure that out. And I know I'm, you ain't I've seen. watched a lot of Stephen King. Yeah. Have you really? Shining and. Oh, well, the, well, the you need to, movies. You need to watch it. You'd love that. I bet I have. That's Pennywise, the clown in that. About the clown in the sewer? Yeah. 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 No, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about where that saucer crashed up at the North Pole. No, you're talking about the thing. The thing. That's it. Boy, that scared me to death. The thing? Yeah, the thing. You always think about the thing, ain't you? <laughs> well, I did for quite a few years. Every show, you got to talk about the thing. Every episode. I love it. <laughs> hey, so your song... The King is Gone sold five million. Yeah. But it never went number one. Well Isn't that the, peculiar. Well, that's called the record business. I know. It's it's just, it's stupid to me. It's called, you just said it, it sold a million in a week. Yep. In a week, but it wasn't number one. There now, are something some foul plays happening there, I believe. Well, it, it's his it's record called, label, you know. Well, it's not my it wasn't my record label. It's um it's the powers that be that control everything. That's right. Yeah, and but money changes all that. Yeah. I've been there. And the powers that be control the top five. Right. Yes. And sometimes the top ten, although I was at number nine, they control. There's so, you know, I, and I don't want to say it's mafia or whatever it is, but there's a power that be that controls and stops all of that. Even though you sell five million records, if they don't want you going to number one, you will not go to number one, and I didn't. And I've always thought, you know, that's the craziest thing. Um, you sell five million records, and you only go to number nine. So what? how many do you have to sell to go to number one? You know? Well, they have to buy them all themselves so that they get yeah. number one. <laughs> yeah, right. I've sat and watched Hank Cochran right there on the side of his bed, and we were doing Vern Gostin. And we were sitting at number four or something like that, and George Jones is number two and yeah. getting ready to go to number one. And he picked up the phone. And he said, hey, it's old Hank, you know. And he said, uh, we need to skip old George right there. And I don't know what it cost him. I know it cost him a, a chunk. 
But then, you know, next week we just jumped right over George and we went number one, and it was, it was money, money. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, enough of that. Old, uh, I don't like the politics of this business. I hate it. Yeah, I, I hate record labels. So we're in, you're in good company. Like I've I've had meetings with uh, several record labels. I, we actually did a show together. I don't know if you knew that or not. You probably don't remember me, but this was recent. Uh, it was for a charity event in Memphis at Lafayette Music Group. I mean, Lafayette Music Room. Oh, yeah, with a bunch of rock. A bunch uh, of old rockers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bill Champlin. Yeah. And uh, and all those guys are so who else, you know. They don't carry on with that silly old ego and arrogance and stuff, you know. No. Uh, I enjoy doing that. Yeah. I came and did two songs, two original songs there, because at the time I lived in Memphis. I love all kinds of music, but my uh, George Jones called me. And I was at the Biloxi um, Beau Rivage. He was next door at the Hard Rock. And he goes, son, I'm next door. It's my 80th birthday. And I want you to come and share it. There's 11 of us. You're going to be number 12. So I go over there, and me and George are sitting next to each other. And he leaned over to me, and he goes, son, I've never told you this. He said, you know who my hero is? I said, George, I know everything about you. He said, well, who is it? I said, my hero, Hank Sr. He goes, you got that right, son. Well, who who else could it have been for George Jones? I can't imagine it. Well, I can tell you anybody right else. now, if you'd listened to any of his first recordings they, and Ray Price both, they that, both sound like Hank Sr. And so does Farron Young. You can't yeah. tell any of those guys from my, So, you know, we yeah. all draw from somewhere. Yeah. That's a funny thing. Hearing you do impressions, uh, yeah. mimicking artists, that's – that's how I started singing. My whole life I was doing that. And it wasn't until 2005 I got a MacBook and figured out I could I could uh, record myself that I f- did a song with my cousin just because I wanted to be able to edit something. Yeah. And I did a song, and I wanted to do a song I'd never heard anybody sing, so I did uh, Great Speckled Bird. Yeah. And uh, I said, play whatever, however it goes. I said, I've never heard anybody sing it. Didn't even know who Roy Acuff was at the time. And then so I sang it, and then my voice, I finally had my own voice for that first time ever. I didn't. So speak on that a little bit. How did you, because you you went from that song to country music, right? I did. And so, but you didn't, but your country music doesn't sound like Elvis. Well, no, you know, that's what everybody, they don't understand. If you are a songwriter, and of course, Everybody influenced me, but my biggest influence is Elvis. But when I recorded, if you listen to older women watching girls go by, by the way, watching when I wrote Watching Girls Go By, I never will forget. It was a rainy night in my hometown of Portland, Tennessee. I had my old 45 records, and I thought, maybe I can get an idea for a song, listening to these songs. And so this one song I played, and you boys will remember it. I'm a girl watcher. I'm a girl watcher, watching girls go by. So I lifted that title out of there. And little did I know when I wrote that song that it would be played over a million times now on the radio. And the the beauty of that is when you write a song and it crosses that millionaire play, your royalties triple. You did get those two songs number one, didn't you? Yes, uh, Cashbox, number one with uh, Watching Girls Go By. But, you know, there was Cashbox, there was Record World, and Billboard. It yeah. Was, it was three trades back then. Billboard, oh. But the Billboard, again, 
controlled. You know, they, they decide who's going to go, just like what you said. Uh, we need to skip over George. You know that. That's it. So you didn't, so you're saying back then there were more than just billboard charts. Oh, yeah, that was cash box and record world. So you yeah. didn't, you didn't, did you, so you didn't get number one on billboard? No. Huh. Two, number two. Number two on billboard. That's yeah. still pretty daggum high. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's, top 10 it's is amazing. Buddy. Hey, I, I'm not complaining. It, and, uh, but if you listen to all of my records, I don't care what they are. It's just Ronnie McDowell. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, when I went in there, now the second record I did, I love you, I love you, I love you, that has an Elvisy tinge to it. I think I did that on purpose. And, you know, that charted in the pop. Because I just come off of that huge record, you know, and J.D. Sumner walked up to me one day and he goes, you know, son, I heard your new record today. And for the life of me, I could not remember when me and Elvis had recorded that. So I thought that's one of the biggest compliments I <laughs> oh, could have been playing. Great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, I, you know, I tell everybody I'm not the most, but I'm one of the most blessed people on the planet. I've got to do things as of last week. I needed one more duet for my album. I've got 20 duets on here of people that I've recorded with for the last 43 years. Mike Curb is finally releasing my new album after 30 years I'm going to have my first release and a new single. I took the old song, If You Believe in Forever, then life is just a one-night stand. If there's a rock and roll heaven, well, I changed it. If there's a country heaven, I changed it to country heaven. And if you remember, that was a million seller for my friend Bill Medley and Bobby Hatfield, the Righteous Brothers. Well, on that record is me and the Righteous Brothers and John Snyder, Bo Duke. Uh, I don't know why, but I called John up and I said, John, I've always had you in mind to do this. And I rewrote the lyrics. So that's going to be my first single release in 30 years. Wow. But the point what I was going to make to you, I needed one more song. So I did my happiness in, in that Kurt Russell movie. So I thought, the only person I ain't done a duet on here with is Elvis. And uh, I thought, what could I do with Elvis? Well, Dick Clark walked up to me and he goes, Ronnie, how would Elvis have done my happiness in 1953? He's 18. He paid $2 to record at Sun. He wanted to hear himself on a record. I said, Dick, I don't have a clue because in 1978, nobody had ever heard the record. They knew he recorded it, but nobody had heard it. So I went in and I recorded my happiness with Elvis last week. Uh, now get this. And uh, in night, 13 years later in 1990 in Memphis in an attic, the boy that was with him that day that he recorded it in 1953 was the only one that had a record player. They would go over to the boy's house in Memphis. They listened to it. Elvis gets up and leaves, leaves it there. Four years later, in 57, in Chicago, that boy became an airline pilot. He went to Elvis's show. Elvis was the biggest thing on the planet. And he said, he went backstage and he said, Elvis, I still got that acetate of my happiness. Elvis said, oh, man, I don't want that. You just keep it. And uh, so he found it in his attic in 1990. So now we know what it sounded like. And, and Dick Clark and I and uh, Chip Young played oh, yeah. the acoustic. We got real close to what he did, mm. but nobody had ever heard what he had done. But anyway, to make a long story short, last week, 
uh, we did we took through algorithms. You know what I'm talking about. Of course, we were able to take Elvis's untimed, god awful guitar playing off of there and have nothing but his vocal over here at Mike Shrimp Studio last Wednesday. Yeah, and we built this beautiful track with Jordan Ayers, kind of like backgrounds, and I changed one word on it to make sure it didn't sound like two gay dudes singing my happiness. And I changed one word, girl. I just put girl. And that changed the whole atmosphere of it. And I sent it to uh, Mike Kerb. He texted me this uh, the next morning, uh, Thursday, and he said, Ronnie, this is amazing. This is going to be huge. So uh, we sent it to uh, the folks at Elvis Presley Enterprises. They had to send it to New York. So I'm hoping and praying that they let me do the duet with Elvis. I believe they will. Man. I believe it'll happen. I hope so. It's not on there. No, because uh, we had to take John Snyder's Cracker Barrel song off of here because Mike Kerb said, you're not on that song. Take Please take that off. For anybody listening, I'm pointing at his album that's sitting on the, the desk because they don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But he's got an album sitting here on the desk called Country Heaven. And hopefully it's going to stay on that desk when he leaves. Well, it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah, and I'm, I want to give you one, too. But I also want to give y'all one of my new paintings. Uh, I was I was about to ask you that. So you're also a painter, and you had a show called Ronnie McDowell Painting America or something. Well, no, I'm, we're doing it now. It's called Painting History on, oh. a, on HGTV. They're, now, he said in 2018, so you're saying that it's fixing to release now? Or well, yeah, because it's taken them forever to finish the pilot. Yeah, that they had it. to do all the graphics and everything, and but they've got it right, and I'm so proud of it. So that comes out when? Well, I don't know when. They don't have a release date yet? No, but it's going to be on HGTV. Isn't that something, Jim? Yeah, buddy. He's going to be on there with Vanilla Ice, our other buddy. Yeah, we, we did him about, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we have Vanilla Ice on. That's cool. So you're going to be right in the mix with the, the rappers. Well, that's all right. You hey, mimic any rappers we can hear real quick? Well, let me let me just tell you this. You remember what I told you, that song I wrote for Johnny? Yeah. And you remember what it said? It don't matter. It's just rhythm from it's the heart. It's just rhythm from the heart. I like yeah. all music, really. I really do. Anyway, um, we don't want to keep you too much longer. It's been 50 minutes now is what we get, I registered. So I just want to put all this in perspective. And Let's I'll, hear it. Uh, Two things I want to tell you, uh, and I hope uh, I just did the Ray Stevens show, and uh, at his new place, yeah, uh -huh, at the Carib Carib uh, Caribay or something. I can't call it either, but I've heard really great things about Cabaret. It. Cabaret. Cabaret. Yeah, I love Ray Stevens. I was just talking to Jim about Ray Stevens the other day. I said, my whole life we would go see Ray Stevens and Branson two times a year. Well, the producer grabbed my arm just for I went out, and they have a curtain, a beautiful stage, beautiful place. And I am Ray Stevens' biggest fan, and that's a God's Really? Name. Oh, Lord, yeah. And so, and I was excited about seeing him again because we're friends, And uh, but the producer said, Ronnie, whatever you do, talk a lot. We can't get nobody to talk when they come on here. We can't get Mo and Joe and Gene Watt. They just don't talk. And I said, man, I ain't got no problem with that. So <laughs> so Ray Stevens, halfway through the interview, he leaned back and he goes, you sure do talk a lot. And I said, well, Ray, the producer, told me to talk a lot, want to come out here. And he said, yeah, but you talk a lot. 
<laughs> you but, you were doing the show. What do you mean? You were doing a radio show with him? No, his or? new TV show. Oh, that's a TV show. Oh yeah, he's got a TV show. What channel is that on? I have no earthly idea, but uh, um, RFD, it's a it, maybe. Probably I, sounds like it'd probably be on RFD. But I want to tell y'all a story, and I'm going to put all this in perspective for you. Last week, my nine year old granddaughter called me up in Galton. She said, Papa, would you come have lunch with me at Benny Bill's? I said, well, of course I will. So when I get there, I'm the only adult at the table with all these third graders. <laughs> so I, I started, I love aggravating kids because I've got five of my own. I always aggravate the fire out of them. And uh, so I said, who's the meanest here? And of course, they all pointed at each other. And, and I said, uh, well, who's the smartest? They said, Jovi. And I said, well, that's because she takes after Papa. I said, okay, I got two questions for you. Who knows who Donald Trump is? The hands went up kind of slow, not all of them. I said, okay, now here's the important question. Who knows who Elvis Presley is? Boy, the hands went up. Well, how do we do? Not one of them. And the little black boy sitting right across from me, he said, well, who don't know who Elvis is? I said, well, y'all are third graders. I didn't think you'd even know who Elvis Presley was. So then there was a little white boy with bifocals, Buddy Holly glasses on. He stood up and he opened up his coat and he said, Mr. Ronnie, what do you think about this? He had an Elvis T-shirt on. I'll be. Wow. So is that, that to me, puts it on. I could have said Frank Sinatra. I don't care. But you say Elvis Presley and third graders. So I told the teacher that story. She said, is that not amazing? Mm. I said, well, it is to me, because I'm Elvis's biggest fan. I was just, you know, just aggravating them, throwing stuff out there. But I was also curious. But anyway, I want to tell you boys, thank y'all for having me here. I hope I did not talk your ears off. No. You know, you talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've told me things that, you know, we've been friends a long time. Yeah. And uh, things that I didn't know about you. So, uh, Well, it's just my life, Jim. And it's a I, wonderful life. I've had the most, just, you know, like Clarence said, George Bailey, you've had a wonderful life. Yep. And I just did the 50th anniversary of Hee Haw, and I went up to the producer and I said, I know why y'all wanted me on here. He said, why is that, Ronnie? And I said, because everybody else pretty much did. <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just had Ronnie Stoneman on the show from Hee Haw. Yeah, she was there with us. Yeah. 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 Uh, we end every show with an unbelievable fact, and because you're Elvis's number one fan and me number two, I took that title. Um, <laughs> we're gonna make it Elvis Presley unbelievable fact, and we got two of two of them for you. And both of y'all can see if you ever knew this. Did you know that Elvis never, never performed outside of North America? Of course I did. Yeah, I figured you did. I didn't know if he did. No, well, I didn't really care, you know, not to lie. Well, he, he didn't have steel. For a while. I forgot about that. Yeah, after that, I give him some slack. <laughs> <laughs> also. Hey, I got to tell you one thing. Go ahead. Because you're going to love this. My one time that I shook hands with Elvis, mm -hmm. I'm going in the back door of RCA, and, you know, there's two or three steps going down into this little metal door. Right. And I'm in that studio A over here with a 60-70-piece uh, orchestra. Right. And uh, so, anyway, just as I reached for that door, I had an amp and a steel guitar, each one of them weighing 70, 80 pounds a piece. Right. Just set my stuff down to reach for the door, and the door just busted open in my face. And there was James. 
And I said, well, what are you doing here, bud? Oh, we just been in here talking a little business. And I said, well, buddy, I said, I hate to be in a hurry, but I said, could you hold that door for me right there, buddy? I said, so I can get this heavy stuff that went in there, you know. And he said, have you ever met Elvis like I hadn't said a word? And I said, well, no, and I'm starting to get aggravated. Now I ask you to hold that damn door. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, say hi. And Elvis stepped right out from behind him, and James went to tell him, he said, boy, this guy is, is a wonderful player. And rah, 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 rah. And uh, so we talked for just a minute, shook his hand, and I said, boys, I said, could y'all please just hold this door for a minute? <laughs> and, and, of course, Elvis didn't hold it, but it, James did. And James I Burton? My, yeah. Yeah. I got my stuff on in, of course, I knew James real well, you know. But anyway, it was my one meeting with Elvis, and he was just genuinely uh, nice to me. Yeah, I'm, I, I just hate that I did not get to lay eyes on him, but that wasn't meant to be. There you go. No, it wasn't. You're right. It all happens for a reason. But if you Google Elvis Presley's grandfather, you know who it is? No. Jesse D. McDowell. Ain't that something? Are y'all kin? I don't have a clue. Well, we'll say you are. Yeah. yeah. The last unbelievable fact is that Elvis Presley bought Franklin Roosevelt's yacht. Did you I know knew that? that. You knew that too. I knew that, and I know uh, that he uh, uh, gave it to uh, Danny Thomas's uh, St. Jude's, and there's pictures of him and Danny Thomas. A lot of people don't know what Elvis did, but I do. I know the things that he did. He was had a heart bigger than Texas. Everybody in Memphis knows that's for sure. Most people, when you talk about Elvis in Memphis, they that's what one of the things they talk about. Even if they're not a fan, they talk about how good of a person he was. Just I handing heard. out Cadillacs and yeah. he would do anything. But he, he money, he loved money because he I don't know if he loved money, but he loved what he what his uh, material things. He was very into the gold and the making everything exactly how he wanted. But he was also, I think, he loved more. Being able to just hand things out like it was nothing. Like it, oh, yeah. Like it wasn't ever going to hurt him. Anyway, thank you, Ronnie, for coming out. We appreciate you spending some time with us and coming to the Jim Vest studio here. Well, I loved it, and I love you boys, and thank you all for having me. And I'm going to run a bunch of errands now. Man, in his Corvette. Oh, no, no. I, I, in his Prius. I forgot. In my Prius. <laughs> <laughs> That's still fun. God bless y'all. Ah, thank y'all so much for listening to the Marty Ray Project Chats. And a big thank you to Rode for supplying the sound with Rodecaster Pro. Whether you like what you heard or hated what you heard, subscribe and rate us anyway. Let us have it. What a pleasure having Ronnie McDowell on the show today. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Go find Ronnie's new album. Go find his paintings, his artwork, and look for his TV show. I was a... I don't know. It's a big. The only the only other story I have that's that even is close. We're not doing that phone. Hey, turn the ringer down. Let me have a hold of that. I just thought of something. I hadn't used one of these in I don't know how long. I don't even. Well, I, I don't <laughs> anymore too. You know. I don't. I haven't even seen a, a landline in years. I didn't know people still had them. <laughs> Do you have a landline at your house? No. I don't think any. 